Good morning, Sunnybrook. Uh, starting a new series today. Before we do, uh, just want to just make you, you guys aware of uh, something that we do every year. Um, and it really is a privilege and an honor for us to do this because we give out of the fact that God has been so giving to us. And so um, as much as we might love our fellow mankind and uh, want to care for those in need, uh, the truth is the reason why we do that is because God has shown his kindness and favor to us and those around us have been made in his image and therefore we're literally responding out of the overflow of God's kindness and grace. And so you'll notice in our lobby uh, through this time of the year that we've got a number of opportunities uh, for us to give other than the plates just being passed. And so I want you to make, make you aware of that and so I do believe there still might be some opportunities for you to give. We had a couple of trees set up in the back and one of them is Angel Tree, and I believe they're all gone, but Cooks and Hills is another ministry um, that we partner with. They're here in the state of Oklahoma, over in Kansas, Oklahoma, and uh, it's a children's home, and we've been serving them for a number of years. So earlier this month, we did um, Coats for Kids here in Stillwater. So these aren't, you don't want to get the bah humbug attitude. Ah, one more person that's looking for a handout. No, we are uh, creating incredible opportunities for us to give because God has been good to us, hasn't he? Like, hasn't he been kind to us? Um, so yes, it is that we love people. Yes, it is that we care about these things, and the needs are truly great. And we are, over, we are giving out of an overflow, uh, not just of our resources, but an overflow of God's kindness to us, which is unsearchable and unmeasurable. So I uh, want to make you aware of those things, and I believe the angel tree as well as the, um, uh, the Cooks and Hill stuff is due uh, by next Sunday, right? Or next Sunday is, is, the, is the last day to bring those gifts back. So please engage in that and, uh, and give joyfully. Um, also, this is a great time of year for a lot of our kids stuff. Really appreciate this Advent resource that came out recently. I remember when I was a kid, and maybe they still even do this, right? Uh, you have the Advent calendar and you get a piece of chocolate every day. When you go, you, do they still do that, right? You still do that with your kids? No? Is that a Canadian thing? Okay, Canadians, we have this thing on December 25th. It's called Christmas. It's crazy. Anyway, um, <laughs> and Boxing Day. But uh, this is an Advent resource that comes out, and I really am proud of this. It's, I, I didn't have anything to do with it, but excited about our team that produced it, and it's just got some great stuff for families to just walk through. So I hope that for those of you with kids um, and would like to go through a lot of the Advent teaching, um, this resource is available, and so I want you to connect with that. And then really looking forward to Jingle Jam tonight for our family experience. Let's jump into our text for today, Matthew chapter 1, and we're beginning in verse 1. When you are reading the scriptures, one rule of thumb that is, uh, is good to remember, an interpretive rule, is that ideas or themes that are presented at the, the very beginning or at the very end of a text have added weight or importance. How a writer begins, Paul, an apostle, okay, that's a big deal, I guess. Paul, a bondservant, or literally a doulos, a slave. Okay, so that's what he's trying to get across. I mean, he's starting out with with, with big, and Matthew's going to do that. So we're gonna jump straight into our text. Our text isn't complicated or difficult. There are no um, complicated Greek words that I need to go back. It's a genealogy. Basically, it's uh, ancestry.com for Jesus. 
And we're going to have an opportunity to see what is it that Matthew highlights? What does he underline? What does he want us to have? Or what is our take-home piece? And so verse 1 says this, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. I always wonder if I say this too much, but I don't think I do. The word Christ matters here. It's not Jesus of Nazareth, the place where he was born. It's Jesus Christ. That, that word actually comes from either the Greek or the Latin Christos. And we go, okay, I get that, Christos, Christ. Here's another word. In, in Hebrew, they would take that same word and it would be Messiah. So you could always say Jesus Messiah, Jesus the Messiah, the Messiah whose name was Jesus. So now all of a sudden, it's not a last name, Christ. It's actually more of a title or a recognition in terms of who he is. Who is Jesus, who was born of Nazareth, Jesus, whose, Mary was, whose, whose mother was Mary and whose father was Joseph, um, the, most likely a stonemason or a carpenter. That, as we describe that, that's, 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 that's who he is, that's where he came from, but who is he? And he is the Messiah, he is the Christ. Um, how many of you actually, English is your primary speaking language, raise your hand. Okay, so most of us, right? Here would be the English the English would be anointed one. So these are all, if you speak Greek or Latin, Christos. If you speak Aramaic or Hebrew, it would be, it would kind of sound a little different, but it would be Messiah. And if you're English, you would say anointed one, the anointed one. Who do you anoint? Kings. I just want you to know, right there at the very beginning, the genealogy not of Jesus who was born in Nazareth, but Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the anointed one. And then notice how right off the bat, this isn't the oldest one, this isn't, it's not David and Eve, right? But it's the one that, that Matthew wants to draw our attention to when looking at the genealogy of Jesus Christ, he's the son of David. And we know who he is, the king. The son of David, the son of Abraham. Verse two, Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of Jacob, and Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah, the father of Perez and Zariah by Tamar. And I want you to just notice there are going to be a number of, of women that are listed here. I could literally preach this entire text from that very interesting perspective. That there are in this genealogy, half of which we'll do this week, half of which we'll do next week, um, it's interesting that Matthew, um, this one who from a very Jewish perspective, from a, let's see the fulfillment of, of prophecy um, about Jesus Christ, God's ultimate plan working out. Matthew wants you to see this from a, a perspective where I wanna highlight Tamar to you. I don't know if you've read the story of Tamar, but um, she's a very interesting character, but um, it's not life as usual for her. There are some men in her life who are not doing things biblically. They do some very inappropriate things by not owning up to their responsibility in providing children. And, and Tamar is the righteous one, and it's neat that she is included here. So Tamar and Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab, the father of Nation, and Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz, here's number two, by Rahab. And if I were to ask you, what, what's, what's, what's Rahab known for? Right? And so you go, you know, it's church. Now, I know, actually, I, I first learned about prostitutes in church, actually. 
I did. <laughs> I had no idea what they were. My dad's like, hey, let's read the story about the Battle of Jericho. And I read the story. I'm like, dad, what's a prostitute? Who is this Rahab? Like, it was truly in that context. And I get to see that God comes into a broken context like that and says, Rahab, let me redeem you. Let me pull you out of this. And here, her name, alongside of Tamar, her name is right there in the genealogy of Jesus. I love this. I, I can't remember if, if Scott drew attention to this from the Ruth story, but I love this reminder. Who is Rahab's son? Boaz. And what did Boaz do? Boaz was the one who, who stood up and did the righteous thing, who did the appropriate thing. Unlike what happened to Tamar and Judah, Boaz is the one who stands up and does the right thing and is profoundly blessed as he takes in Ruth and he becomes her kinsman, meaning her relative redeemer. He stands up and he does what is righteous, unlike Judah his forefather, and Boaz stands up, and, and I just have to wonder if it's because Boaz, you know, his mom was Rahab. Like, she knows what that's like to be on the outside. She knows what it's like, and he, Boaz, the, the son of Rahab, looks at Ruth and redeems her. Beautiful that it's found in the story. And then Boaz is the father of Obed by Ruth, the third woman mentioned, and Obed is the father of Jesse, and Jesse is the father of David, who, by the way, in case you're wondering, is the king. Can you see this, this, this emphasis that Matthew wants to, to draw for Jesus Christ? He, he wants you to know that as I describe who Jesus is, I, I like how Drew said it, Matthew isn't wanting to lift himself up. He's not wanting us to have a, a better and a deeper an appreciation for the sacrifice that he gave. His focus is Jesus. But right out of the blocks, he wants us to know that who Jesus is, is he is the coming king that God has promised. He's the son of David. He is the son of the son of the son of the son of the son of, who was, by the way, the king. He, he matches up there and he provides that. And how you see Jesus, how you, how you view him shapes how you think about him and how you even respond to him. I get that Jesus is a lot of things. I really do. And I'm even grateful for the fact that he is a lot of things. I find it fascinating that as I, as I watch television and I get a chance to see on the Discovery Channel or the History Channel, and they're going to be talking about Christianity, and they're going to be talking about who this Jesus, this great figure from history, who this Jesus is, and then they bring on these scholars some of them conservative, some of them liberal. It's fascinating that each of them pick some attribute about Jesus Christ, and then they take that and they run with it. Who is Jesus? Great teacher, profoundly wise. Have you read his, his teachings? He's this wonderful teacher. Sure. When, when I went to Israel a couple of years ago, I, I noticed that they, they, they loved this aspect of Jesus. Like Jews today. The guides that lead us actually are, are Jewish people. They're not Jewish followers of Jesus Christ. They're not Messianic Jews. They're, they're Jewish Jews. They still follow the Old Testament law. What do you do with Jesus? And what they do with Jesus is politely say, well, he's a good teacher. Really appreciate his teaching ability. 
I just, I love some of the things that he said. It's, it's a lot like they do here in our public school system. We don't want to talk about Jesus. We don't want to kind of like specifically mention anything he really says. But we will have the, um, the Golden Rule Award every year. There's something about doing to others as you would like them to do, which is just, is that not profound? It is. It's Jesus' teaching. And, and, and I get it, how you might look at the teachings of Jesus Christ and, and say, wow, that's, that's nice. He really he taught us to be nice. He taught us to be fair. He taught us to be kind. He taught us to think of others. I mean, isn't that, isn't that good teaching? And the answer is yes. Is that all Jesus is to you? He's a good teacher, profound, insightful. You know what I like about Jesus? He seemed to somehow know things about us. <laughs> uh, yeah. Because he made us, right? Like he's in, he, he designed us. I think that's how he knows about us. But what happens when you just take Jesus, the teacher, and you leave him in the classroom? Then you miss Jesus. Matthew's not wanting you to be impressed by his teaching ability. Even though Matthew, more than anybody else, gives extensive teachings about Jesus Christ. He doesn't walk you, want, want you to walk away and go, man, I, that was insightful, thank you. Jesus the compassionate, this is the thing to be nowadays, right? The one thing you cannot, you can be anything. You can be a liar, you can be anything, but you can't be not compassionate. You have to be compassionate. It's the number one rule in our culture today. Have to show empathy, which by the way is a beautiful thing and it's a wonderful thing. So, so, so when I preach, and there's a story of this, this, this woman who's on the outside looking in, I want you to see the compassion of Jesus. You see how compassionate he is and how he cares for her, and nobody else liked her, but Jesus liked her. So he, they're on the playground, and Jesus went to her, and he was her friend. And you need to be like that. Stories about Lazarus dying and notice that he wept. Have you heard these sermons? I probably preached them. Right? Have you heard this? Now, by the way, we don't even talk about that. It's very interesting around that Jesus wept phrase. It's actually connected to the fact that he was very angry inside of himself as to how the people were acting in regards to their hopelessness. Like, there's a lot of debate as to what he was really weeping over. Yeah, but that doesn't sell today. Jesus knows what it's like. Truly loving and kind and gracious and a teacher. But when we take Jesus and we move him into this compassionate neighborhood and then we celebrate compassion, then we're still designing a Jesus that more meets our needs than really stands for who he is. And so what Matthew wants you to know is not that Jesus is compassionate, which he is, and Matthew will describe that, and he is a great, he is all of those things, but if I said Matthew, you got one word, describe Jesus. I think his word literally would probably be Messiah. Explain what that means. It means he's the Christ. It means he's the anointed one of God. He is the one that God promised to send. He is, he's all of that. And we've lost that in many respects. We really have. We've, we've said we don't want a king, just like they said many years ago to God in Israel. We don't want a king. We, we, we want a friend. We, we want a buddy. We want a shoulder. And the truth is, God knows what we want more than you and I do. And God knows we need a king. And so he gave us Jesus. That's what Christmas is all about. It is the coming of our 
king. And so what I would like to do is just look at this emphasis that we see clearly in the first six verses of Matthew chapter one. And I wanna use Matthew's gospel to say now, now since Jesus is king, that when we go back and as we walk through this, as Drew said, as we walk through these chapters, I want you to pay special attention to the fullness of who Jesus Christ is, to the depths of his power and strength and authority. And so as Matthew describes Jesus to us, He wants us to worship him. He wants us to bow down to him. He wants us to respond to his greatness. The first thing that we see about kings as described in Matthew, um, it's a word that we really struggle with today because we love to celebrate the rebel. We love to just always be on the outside. We love to kind of push against the grain. But Jesus Christ in in the gospel of Matthew has the authority to speak. Authority to speak to everybody to the religious establishment, to those who are downcast. I mean, Jesus is one who speaks different than everybody else. That word authority is difficult for us to deal with today, but we really do wrestle with it. It's not just children who love to say, you're not the boss of me, right? Kids love to say, you're not the boss of me. I get it. I I couldn't help but think though, like who is the boss of you? (laughs) Is anybody the boss of you? If I were to ask you, Like who speaks into your life and directs your attitudes and behaviors? And you listen to them, you like, you respond to them. I'm not asking who you resent. I'm not asking who that you kind of bristle under. I'm I'm asking like, who do you listen to? Okay, I'll do that. Yeah, I didn't think I should do that, but now you said that, I think I should do that. Is there anybody? When we think about this theoretically, we could probably say, yeah, you know, like maybe the president of the United States or the U.S. Supreme Court, if they, if they had, you know, they came with guns and they put me in jail, I guess they have authority over me. Okay, that's just kind of a theoretical type thing. Like, like is there anybody in your life that speaks and, and you respond and you listen? This isn't a modern problem. I, I read a book a number of years ago about, um, about how to preach This book was written probably in the late 60s, early 70s. And one of the the major problems that he was describing in the church way back then, right, like thousands of years ago, back in the 60s. um, Here's what he says. One of the biggest problems in preaching to an audience today is that everybody in the audience thinks they're an expert, that thinks they're the authority. And so it's kind of hard to preach when I'm... Hey, here's how you need to live your life, and here's how you need to spend your money, and here's how you need to use, use your finances, and here's how you need to work, and here's how you, and how many of you are going, yeah, maybe. Who are you? Who are you to tell me what to do? Don't, don't we all kind of posture ourselves like that? And, and by the way, I'm not offended. I'm not like, how dare you? Do you know who I am? Do you know who I am? Have you seen my business card? Do you know who I am? It's not that. Actually, the the truth be known, and this just cuts me to the core. When I'm sitting where you are, I think I'm an expert too. It's not the location. It's not the the, the podium. It's um, it's just that there's something broken with us when, in the end, we really don't allow anybody to, to speak into our lives. Well, you know, maybe like a boss. Like my boss, I would listen to my boss unless, oh, because I'll tell you, if he does this, I'm out of here. Okay, so you're still, you is the authority in your life. I'm gonna stay in this marriage as long as, I'm going to as long as, like, I want you to think about this. Like, who is the final authority in your life? 
And if you and I are gonna be brutally honest, it just, a lot of them are just like paper walls we blast through. Who's the authority? Me. I'm gonna do what I wanna do when I wanna do it. That's just kind of how it works. I'm not a person under authority. So when Jesus comes in, now, oh, no, okay. Now I know why you like the nice and kind and gentle Jesus. Now I know why you like Jesus, the good teacher, but still it's you deciding whether or not you want to learn it or not. It's still you kind of going, is this going to be on the final? Because if not, I don't know why I'm listening. So do you see your posture towards Jesus? Your posture towards authority and, and, and Matthew, and, and by the way, not a new problem. In Jesus' day, they had the same issue. Who are you? I know who your mama is, Jesus. This is what they said to him. I know where you come from. I'm not going to listen to you. So it's a universal problem. But Matthew says a number of times in chapter five, I love this statement, in the Sermon on the Mount, which is kind of this great, um, uh, wonderful teaching that Jesus gives, Jesus talks like this to the crowds. He says this many times. You have heard that it has been said. You've heard that it is said. But I say unto you. I still have the King James there. But I say unto. I don't even know what unto is. But I say unto you. Beest thou of good cheer, or whatever, right, Jesus might say. I say to you. Now, isn't that interesting? You've heard that it was said this about, like, adultery, but I say to you, don't lust. And by the way, you've heard that it was said in terms of murder, but I say do not hate. You've heard that it was said, but I say unto you. And all of a sudden, Jesus is uh, he's not playing by the same rules as everybody else. Like Jesus seems to have a different understanding of who he is than all of the other teachers. Jesus is one who speaks with authority. His decision is final. And when are we going to grow up? Hear me. When are we going to grow up and to recognize the fullness of who Jesus is and his authority to speak? To those of us who are, who, who, here's what we say. We're followers of Jesus. I love to ask this question. Like, where is he leading you? Where is he changing you? Where is he refining your attitudes? Where is he refining your behavior? Where is Jesus speaking truth into your life? And you are seeing a response of change. Mm. Nowhere. (laughs) Nowhere, not that I can think of. But I'll tell you, when I agree with Jesus, then we're on the same page totally. I love to ask this question. When was the last time you and Jesus had a really good argument? When was the last time he was telling you to do something? He was telling you to act a certain way. He was really calling you out and you found yourself kind of disagreeing with him. Because here's my concern. If I never disagree with Jesus, if I never actually wrestle with what he's saying, then me and Jesus are always on the same page, which which means I'm Jesus. Right? Means just, oh yeah. Been there, done that already with everything Jesus taught. I really think this is one of the reasons why we don't spend enough time in his word. I don't need one more suggestion. Anybody else need more suggestions on how they should spend their Saturdays or their retirement? Anyone like another suggestion? And the answer is what? What do you say to me? I don't want another suggestion. So I don't know how this is gonna really help me. I love it. God um, really blesses parents 
um, on two specific occasions. One is when our children come into the world, and the other one is when they leave our world, and they go and they live on their own. You know what I mean? So I love it when kids come, and, 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 and then there is that beautiful time in, in which they leave and they begin to grow. Uh, they begin to experience all of the, um, the weight of life, and they begin to kind of awaken and say, wow, my, my dad knew more, my mom knew more than I thought they did. And I, I didn't think my boys would ever learn that. <laughs> I really didn't. I just thought that we would eternally be idiots, Andrea and I would be. I was talking to, um, to one of my sons this, this past week, and he, he said to me, we were having lunch together, and uh, he said to me, he said, Dad, I don't even know if I want to tell you this, and I'm thinking, oh, no, not another one of these. <laughs> and he said, no, 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 it's not that, it's not that. I, I really don't even want to have to tell you this, but, uh, you know, when, when I was little, when I was kind of growing up, I, I really felt like I really felt like you didn't give me as a kid or, or, or just, you didn't give us kids like the kind of, like the respect and the sitting in awe of all of our wisdom like I thought you should. <laughs> so yeah, I had to laugh. Um, I'm thinking, well, but the, listen, I loved you, but I just, I knew you were seven. I, I did, I knew you were seven. So all of your plans about the world and all of your plans about life, I knew they were seven-year-old plans. And so you're, you're cute, right? But you're not one to build the lives. And, and so my son actually said to me, he said, well, I just, I, I need you to know that like the last few years that I've been at college, the more that I've just realized, not all the time, not all the time, but, but a lot of what you were saying and, and even how you were saying it and kind of the demand for um, respect and those kind of demand for obedience that you were giving me, like it probably was, okay, dad, it was right. And honestly, I wasn't even so excited that, yes, I was right. I was really excited that somehow my son realized what, what it means to be under authority. I looked at him and I thought to myself, like, maybe there's hope for him with God and, and, and with people in his life. That somehow he realizes that when we, when we take the world and we revolve it around ourselves and we've got nobody speaking truth and we've got nobody challenging and we've got nobody lovingly pulling us along, then in the end, it's just a life designed to please ourselves. And I just had to wonder, maybe, maybe there's hope for him. Amen? Maybe there's hope. See, there's something beautiful about recognizing this authority, and Jesus is the one who has it best. Matthew chapter 7, verses 28 and 29. As, as Matthew is ending the Sermon on the Mount and getting ready to, to kind of divulge or to, to delve into this wonderful series of encounters that Jesus has, as he's wrapping up the sermon, he ends with this recognition about what the people said about Jesus, verse 28 and 29. And when Jesus finished saying, these things. The crowds were astonished. Literally, they stood outside of themselves. They were amazed at his teachings. Why? Because he was insightful? No, look at this. For he was teaching them as, as one who had authority. That's a big word in Matthew's gospel. He was speaking as one who had authority and not as their scribes, not as their religious leaders. You know, you, know, you know what I love about that? I, I love the fact that um, when Jesus makes a statement, like he is the footnote. Who came up with that idea? Me. Right? If Jesus were to write a paper and you were his professor, right? It'd be like footnote one at the very bottom, God. <laughs> God. 
God's thoughts, right? I actually had a student. I, I, I thought this was just amazing. But the student, you know, because I, I when I was a professor, I want to see good footnotes. I want to see good content footnotes. And so that was what I would always recommend. And so this one student of mine decided, I'm going to give you really good content footnotes. Little one on the top, look down on the bottom. I was sitting at Starbucks the other day, and I had that thought. <laughs> Footnote number two. So I was talking with my friend the other day, <laughs> and we had this conversation. And so there, there's my thoughts. And I thought, you can't do that. That is not, that is so not how you can respectfully present a position. No, you have no authority. Who are you? You're just a freshman. Sorry, freshman. You're just a senior. Sorry, seniors. You don't have the right or the authority to quote yourself like somehow the world's going to go, ooh. But Jesus does. And when Jesus is done talking, and this is, I want you to hear this, when we want to say, well, yeah, well, who are you? I'm king. That's what Matthew wants you to see. Number two, and I I really think this is critical for us, we have lost this particular view of Jesus. I mean, not that you would disagree. If I were to say, is Jesus king? You would quickly say yes, but you wouldn't think about how his kingship has affected your responsiveness to him. So there's a disconnect in our hearts. And this disconnect, I believe, in part, has led to increased anxiety and fear and worry in our lives. Because what we did was we traded Jesus the king for Jesus the buddy, like Buddy the elf. That's kind of like Jesus, right? Maybe not so silly, but he's like there. He's kind of like he's fun. He's just kind of, you know, if you need someone to talk to, he's a really good listener. He is. He really listens well. And what I love about Jesus is he listens so well, he never talks back to me. He's just, you know what I mean? Exactly what I need. Someone to just listen to me and agree with everything I say. And that's a lot of our Jesuses to us. It's just not Jesus. And when you take that Jesus into the world and then the doctor says cancer or your boss says you need to find a new job or the world seems to be getting away from us, Jesus the buddy doesn't have the the tenacity or the strength to provide any kind of security or, or safety in us. I think one of the reasons why the the church, why followers of Jesus Christ are so anxious and so afraid is because their Jesus is like this big. He's this big. And so do you see the problem? What, What we can restore here in terms of Jesus the king is the one who has the power to rule. Matthew does want, wants you to see that. Look at this. In Matthew 8 and 9, that's where I want to take these segments from, Jesus is done teaching, and now he's walking around, and everybody's listening to him. Matthew chapter 8, verse 27. They're in a boat. There's a storm. Jesus is about to talk. And by the way, hey, weather, I want you to listen to me. We ask how the weather is. Jesus literally could go, what do you want the weather to be? You see the difference? Matthew chapter 8, verse 27, they're in the boat, Jesus calms the storm, and the people freak out, the disciples. Listen to this, verse 27, and the men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this, that even the winds and the seas obey him? Think about that. The power to rule. 
Chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus is in, engaged in this, this combat with these, uh, in Matthew's account with these two demon-possessed men. And in the middle of this debate, in the middle of the middle of this discussion, and there's Jesus and he's arguing with these two demon-possessed men, and the demons within these demon-possessed men, they say to him, look at this in verse 31, if you cast us out, that, uh, well, if you cast us out, send us away into that herd of pigs. Here's what they're saying. Jesus, I know you can do whatever you want, and what you say is going to happen. Therefore, could you please do this? Because whatever Jesus wants is about to happen. And whatever Jesus wants does happen. The power to rule. Matthew 9, verse 6. I love this one because in the middle of this debate about who Jesus Christ is, he loves to step in and assume the authority of God. That's how you know he's more than just a teacher. Gandhi never said, hey, well, you know what? Let me tell you about God in the sense like I'm him. Muhammad never did that. Jesus did. He, he assumed a, a profoundly, it was either crazy or it was actually true. It was either absolutely off the wall or it had some, some, some truth in terms of in its core when Jesus would begin to like forgive people their sin. So there's this man in Matthew 9 and um, he's been paralyzed for a long time and Jesus looks at him and he realizes, I know this man can't walk, but more important than that, his relationship with God is not right. And so he says, I want you to know that your sins are forgiven. And the religious leaders, who, who, who is this guy? Who, who says stuff like that? You don't, you don't talk like that. You don't have authority to forgive sins. And Jesus says, I love this, verse, nine, verse six of chapter nine. Jesus says, but so that you might know the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed and go home. What's it easier to say? To somebody who is crippled, get up and walk? or your sins are forgiven? And the answer is, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven, because how do you know? Right, your sins are forgiven. How do you know? Get up and walk. Oh, now I know. And Jesus links the two together. So that you might know that I really can forgive this man's sins. But let me tell you, watch this, and he heals. He heals his body, because he's already healed his soul. The power to rule, this is the Jesus that we're asking you to worship. And then lastly, I love this encounter. It reminds us a lot of the, uh, the Lazarus encounter. Um, Jesus meets this man. This man wants him to come and, and to care for his daughter who is dead. And Jesus says, the little girl is not, is not dead. She's just sleeping. And they all laugh at him. That's what people do when, when you say crazy things like your sins are forgiven or when you try to command the waves to, to stop and the wind to stop. People think that doesn't make sense. And Jesus mystifies them. Jesus absolutely astonishes them by his authority and by his right to rule in their lives. And so Jesus, in this encounter, speaking about this little girl who truly is dead, he gets the crowd outside, verse 25 of Matthew chapter 9, but when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and he took her by the hand and the little girl arose. Because that's what you do when Jesus is in the room and you're dead. And he says, get up. Lazarus, come forth. Dead people respond to him. Think about that. Like, I know that you know that is true, but I want to just ask you, like, if that is true, if Jesus has the authority to speak and the power to rule, then how should you respond to him? In terms of your attitude and your obedience to how he speaks to you. And lastly, I want to end with this. Jesus has not only the, this, uh, this authority and this power to rule and to speak, 
but he also has the right to reward. It's a big deal in Matthew's gospel. Matthew is describing a Jesus that has been very much a lightning rod, and he wants He wants the rest of the followers, the future followers to know that should you follow Jesus Christ, there are going to be difficulties. There are going to be be, uh, kind of a cost to who we are and to, to what we do. There is going to be an expense that is paid out, but Jesus Christ will reward those who are faithful. And we don't talk about this one enough. Just so we're clear, I promise you, there will come a day, I believe this, there will come a day, and you will stand before Jesus Christ and you will give an account for your life. But, but for those of us, it's not all of us, but for those of us who are actually followers of Jesus Christ, how I would actually describe it is that is true. But for those of us who have trusted him, then he's coming to reward you. He's coming to say, well done. He's coming to, to take you home. Like, do you know that? Like, th- this is why I'm not afraid to meet Jesus. Because I'm not afraid of his judgment because I'm already covered by his love. I'm covered by his grace. I'm covered. The, the one who did not know sin became sin so that what? So that we could become the righteousness of God. Right, Drew? That, by the way, that was Paul who said that. And you gave him credit. Okay, so this is what it means. Therefore, Jesus Christ, sure, he will judge, but he won't judge me because I've already been judged. He will come to reward me. Did you know that? This is why there really should be no fear for the coming of Jesus Christ for those who are his children. And Paul says, listen, he's not gonna come like a thief in the night where you're not prepared. It's not like us. With us, he will come and I eagerly await the coming of Jesus Christ. Do you? It really depends on what you're waiting for. Listen, if, if, you're, if you're outside of God's grace, if you're outside of God's, not his love, but receiving his love, then yeah, you, you need to be afraid. Like, you need to be deeply concerned. But for those of you who have placed your trust in Jesus Christ, then we say what? Come, Lord Jesus. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. I love this. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, or that can be understood as like his teachings. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm gentle, I'm lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When Jesus came, he didn't come like other religious leaders trying to weigh them down, jump higher, uh, work harder. You you, you need to measure up, measure up, measure up. Jesus came to give life. Jesus came to say, listen, I know you cannot do it, but I can do it. Believe in me. Follow me. Trust in me. There was a lady in our church. um, She's still alive. She can't come anymore. Um, But she is one of the most faithful people I know. And a number of years ago, after a teaching time, she caught me in the hall afterwards. I must have been teaching something about the, the, the coming of Jesus Christ. And she, with tears streaming down her face, she said, Jim, do you think I'll make it? Like, do you think I'll go to heaven? And I'm thinking, man, Miss Olive, if, if you don't make it, now hear me. Make, I want to make sure I'm clear. Not because you're, you're a good person. See, that's probably where a number of you went, Right? Miss Olive, you're a good person. You're, you're like really sweet. No, no, no. I, I meant like, Miss Olive, I don't know anyone who trusts Jesus like you do. Like, I don't, I don't know anybody. And I looked at her and I said, Miss Olive, I just want to ask you this question. Like, when you see Jesus, 
Are you gonna start bragging about how nice and kind and all that you've done for him? Or are you gonna say, I'm so glad to see you. You're the one that I love. You're the one that I trust. You're the one that I give, live, lived my life for. Is that what you're, and she said, oh yes, tears still streaming down her face. Then I said, Miss Olive, I'm telling you, and I kind of looked at her and I said, I want you to know, um, Jesus is gonna come and he is going to say to you, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's what he's gonna say to you. And I want you to know that. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus told his disciples, if any of you would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man, or a woman, by the way, just in case for those of you women saying, ah, oh, good, not me. No, what would it profit a man or a woman if they gained the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what would a man give in return for his soul? By the way, the answer is nothing. Oh, yay, I got the world. Oh, yay, I won a national championship. Oh, yay, I got the promotion. Oh, yay, I got everything figured out. What does it profit someone if they gain everything and lose their soul? If you get everything right and get Jesus wrong, you got everything wrong. You are the fool of all fools if you don't know that Jesus is the king of all kings. You understand how critical this is, how important this truth becomes. So Jesus says, for the son of man is going to come with his angels into the glory of his father and he will repay. But let me say it this way, because that's the people who's going to judge. He will repay each person according to what they've done. That's for those of you that are not gonna make it. Okay? But for those of you who are going to make it, Jesus Christ said, and I will repay and I will give out each of you according to what you've done. What have you done? Some of you right now are just thinking, I'm going to figure out a way to do this on my own. I'm going to be good enough. I'm going to be kind enough. I'm going to actually be able to do this on my own. That's not my plan. If you want to know my plan, what I have done actually is I have taken anything that I could say to God to somehow make him owe me and I've taken all of that and I've given it all up and I've said all I have is Jesus. I'm just here to say thank you, God, for all that you have done for me in Jesus Christ, for his life for mine, for his righteousness for my, for my wickedness. I'm just here to say thank you. Glory with my life because of who he is. Not just sweet, not just kind, not a profound teacher, not wise and insightful, but the king of David and the king of Jim. That's Jesus. That's who he is. And if you have said that, then Jesus Christ will come and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. We stand literally between these two moments. The return of the king, as described here in Matthew 1, the return of the king and the return of the king. Between those two points, that's us. Don't know exactly where we are. Just don't forget the king part. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this time, for my brothers and sisters in Christ, and for the word of truth and admonition that comes to us. God, for those of us who are on the right side of faith, may we find great comfort in this. May we find hope and may we find even words of truth to organize our lives in. May we find confidence and power over, over sickness and death, whether it takes our lives or not. 
God, may we eagerly look forward for that day. And God, for those who are still on the outside looking in, who are still wrestling with faith, Father, I pray that they would recognize the truth about who Jesus is, your love for us through him and in him. And may they find peace in being his subject in his kingdom for your glory. It's in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. You want to keep talking about this? I could do it all day long. And there are others who could do it for a while. So we would love to be here. And we would love to do that with you. We love you guys. We'll see you at FX tonight. God bless.